Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Pete and Pastor Harvey Friesen. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Everyone to Foothills Christian Church. I am uh, Doug, and this is my buddy Harv. Hey, hey guys, I'm Harv. Hey and uh, we're in a boot camp family challenge right now. And so this is the day on which we're going to help everybody who wants to get married, who everybody who is married, and people who even wonder why they got married. Uh, we're going we're gonna to just kind of focus on that because this series is all about strengthening your family, growing your family, bringing more peace, bringing more joy, more uh, endurance to your family. And today we're specifically focusing on the marriage. So today I'm going to tag team with Harv. So if you remember at the beginning of the year, we talked about a sigmoid curve, and, and we, we've been calling that an S-curve. And that S-curve is the notion of doing the hard work that we go down and do the hard work so we can build the next curve, which is the idea of growing in our faith, growing in our lives, growing in our relationships, etc. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, the word disciple means learner. That's what it means. And so what we're doing is believing that the word of God will go from this book through our lives and into your lives and that you, you're welcome to look at us because we're player coaches as well. We've been doing our own sigmoid curves. We've been doing our own S curves, our own development in our life. So this is not, we tell you from up here to do it. You got player coaches in your world. That's who we are. And we're here today to encourage you around the covenant notion of that a covenant in a relationship is much better than a contract because contracts break up people. Mm. Co- covenants build the family and life we want. All right, we're going to jump into Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33, and I'm going to read it. This is also on the list of scriptures that we gave you at the very beginning of this series. There was a whole sheet with a whole bunch of verses and passages from the Bible that talk about marriage. And so uh, you'll be able to get those if you want on the website later. If Today, you got a handout. Uh, one is message notes. And then the second one was a worksheet that we are sending home with everyone to go through. If you didn't get the second one, the worksheet, that'll be on the website for you to download as well, because we did run out of some of those. So they were so popular. Um, actually, I think our copy machine broke. So anyway, no. Let's read and let's dig in, Okay beginning with verse 21 of chapter 5, the book of Ephesians. Now be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. And husbands, you need to love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. In this same way, 
So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, because he who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. And we are members of his body. And for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Jesus Christ and his church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also love his own wife, even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. One of the most beautiful passages of scripture is right here. And it's because it speaks life and it speaks to our relationships. One of the biggest struggles about this verse is that we have read this verse so for, for so long as a contract. This is not a contract. God did not establish a contract between a husband and a wife. That's not what he intended. It's not what he built. It's not what he meant. But when you read this as a contract relationship, what you start to see is you go, okay, wait, we have a power-based relationship going on here. This is not a power-based relationship. The Greek word for the word subject to in there is the word hupotasso. Hupotasso in the Greek means this, willfully yield in love. Willfully yield in love. It says, hey, no, I don't need to go, you go. No, I don't need to go, you go. Well, now it's your turn, you go. Willful yielding in love is different than contractual relationship, which is the word hupakua. Hupakua appears in the next chapter where it says, children, hupakua, your parents. That word means to obey. God did not use that word in these verses here. We should very importantly understand that. Mm. Taken from there, these, relation, these words actually enable a covenant relationship with each other. A covenant relationship is the one that we all want. Mm. And we're going to try to walk you through why we want that. To, to see that, though, some of you probably read this verse and you flinch and go, oh, man, we're going to talk about that one today. Be subject to. I hope you'll lean in and see the heart of this because it has been used in wretched ways contractually God did not intend a contract to say, go do this. God said, here's a covenant, and let me show you what it looks like. A covenant, this on your paper, the first transformation, a covenant changes your perspective from what your spouse is doing wrong to what you can do right. Mm. Hear me on this. A covenant relationship is, is like this, is that I agree to do this, and my wife agrees to do this, and we both go forward in doing these things. That's a covenant. A contract relationship is this. I'll do this, you do this, we get this. I'll do this, you do this, we get this. And let me show you the difference. Is that if a contract, in a contract, if this person doesn't do what they're called to do, it's called breach of contract, mm -hmm. and this person is actually legally released from the contract. That is not what God ordained for a husband and a wife relationship. Hmm. God ordained this. You do this and you do this. And if this person doesn't do this, you still do this. Hmm. Where does that idea come from? It comes from God himself. God has a relationship with us where he says every time in the Bible where it says that God loves you, it's the word agape. God agapes you, which means he is committed to you. A covenant is a relationship built on commitment. A contract is a relationship built on obligations. Do you see the difference? Mm. If your relationship is an obligatory relationship, you are missing out 
on the beauty of what God intended for relationships. Let me walk you through how this kind of falls down into a town and into a city. It's kind of going on in Boise and in the, in the Treasure Valley, and I'll speak to it for a moment because I think you're all feeling a little bit of this. Boise and Idaho are this community. It's this place where people love being. It's where you're from. It's where you want to stay. You're happy. I mean, the per capita number of Idaho things on the back of bumper stickers and windows and trucks or whatever, people love being in Idaho. It feels like a community, right? Mm -hmm. It feels like a community. When a community begins to boom, the community begins to change. I lived in the same house on the same street for 30 years in Boulder, Colorado, right there in little subdivision Louisville area, okay? I've lived in the same place for that same time. I watched our place in Colorado go from about four and a half million to about six million people. I've watched the front range absorb most of those people. And here's the observation of what I have. I've written it down, it's on your piece of paper, right? When a place begins to boom, construction becomes a major part of the community. All the construction changes the tenor of the relationships because all of a sudden what happens with construction is everybody comes in with contracts. The person that runs construction is called a general contractor, not a general covenantor, but a contractor, right? That's what, a mouthful. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Think about this for a second. When you have an HOA, it's called a covenant. Why? contractors build and leave covenants are for people who stay and try to build a community. Do you see mm. the difference? Mm. Mm -hmm. Even then though, it gets a little slicey and dicey because here's where the covenants break down in those HOAs is when people treat them as a contract. They show up at the meeting, snap the paper. You just went to a contract rather than a covenant. Look what happens in this process. You can read some of this on your own is it, that the dynamic of the community begins to shift because supply and demand takes over, the houses rise. I bought my house for $94,500 and I negotiated at 22 years, 23, 22 years old for the washer and the dryer. And man, did I think I was somebody. <laughs> We're getting that dryer, babe. Don't kid yourself. Of course, it died in about a year, right? But anyway, we got the dryer. So what happens is what? That thing goes up. It's $600,000 now right? That's what happens. You know what happens when this community boom happens? Everybody starts shifting their place in the social dynamic, mm. right? Mm. And here's what also begins to happen. Haves and haves nots, winners and losers, get more, didn't get more. All those sorts of things start to happen. In that dynamic, what happens is instead of the community being the most important thing, what is community? Community is two words. We have a common unity. We want to live here Live as though you live here, right? Don't come in and try to change our common unity with a contract. Con men, contract. I'll leave it there, okay? And so I'm, uh, there's a healthy part to this too. Here's what happens. Five people take over a big part of the economy. Risk-based, large-scale developers show up. General contractors start to build. Lawyers get in the middle. Skilled trades start to apply themselves. Framers, electricians, plumbers, their position becomes very important because they're in large demand and there's not much of a supply. And what happens is everybody feels this awful sense of, we're not as nice and friendly as we used to be. I wanted to just paint that picture real briefly to say this. I think it still can be a covenantal relationship if we have a common unity. But hear me on this church. The, ch the church here, we have the chance to be salt and light 
in a dark and tasteless world. Mm. And how is that? We just took common union together. We called it communion. You know what the communion that starts a community is? Everyone needs the blood of the cross to drip down on them the same. Hear me. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. Those who have and those who have not, it, the blood still counts one to one. Let us always remember that. It's mm. going to lead us in the notion of how we build covenant relationships. If we don't look at the bottom, here's what happens. Greed takes over because contracts are about you do this and I do this and we get this. That contract honeymoon phase, you guys have done contracts, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody's buying, you know, that they're not buying the $50 bottle of wine, they're buying the $150 bottle of wine. Everybody's excited, we're happy, it's smiling, we just signed the contract, all that stuff's going on, right? And then those primal forces take over. Greed looks like this in those environments. Monetary and possessive selfishness. Possessions are more valuable than people. That's what starts to change, a community. Mm. Lust takes over. Lust of the physical and the sexual uh, selfishness. Love gives way for selfish lust. I'm showing you a progression of what contracts, if we look at relationships just through contracts, the things that work most in those are our lesser qualities. Here's another form of selfishness, envy. Envy is jealousy-based selfishness, and it segments people as greater and lesser. Some to be jealous of, some to not be jealous of. You start to see how a community falls apart with this stuff, right? I'll let you read the rest of that. God called you and I into covenantal relationships. The first covenant is in Genesis chapter 12, where God said, I will bless those who bless you. And you should now go be a blessing to others. We're called to be a blessing to our community as a church. We want to walk you through now how that looks in a marriage relationship. Pastor Doug? Yeah, and so what Harvard's doing is showing how things in the world in which we live, you know, economic growth isn't bad, and in, uh, it's good to go out and live and play on that field. It's exciting. The, the difficulty is when we take those things that we're learning to play the game out there, and then we bring them into our marriage relationship, you see. Because then what we do is we tend to shift our marriage from a covenantal to a contract. And that's where friction can grow in a relationship. And... So the first thing that I think has to happen is when you shift to a covenantal mindset about your marriage relationship is that your perspective completely changes. So you have to look at not only your relationship, but the other person in a different way. Let me read for you Ephesians 5, verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, I want to point out two things. Number one is we don't love in the way we want to love, guys. We have to love the way God has modeled to us. So the way Christ loves the church, we love in that way, in an unconditional way, covenantal way. But the other thing, too, is that is it's very important to understand is regardless of where your relationship at, there's always something you can do. I've talked to a lot of men over the years who've said, you know, I've tried everything and I don't know what to do. Or it's so frustrating because this is happening. I don't know what to do. Well, the one thing you can do is you can love your wife as Christ loved the church. 
Now, the reason you want to love this way is some basic reasons. The first reason is this, is that when you don't love this way, you love transactionally. And here's how transactional love works. And that is, is that, well, I'm going to love you. I'm going to do these things, as Harv described, in order to get this result. And what happens is you start loving that way and you don't get that result, do you? It just doesn't happen. And so if you're a guy, most guys are wired like this, is they don't like paying for something and not getting it, right? I was just listening to um, some old jokes by Ronald uh, Reagan, and he tells a joke about uh, Russia. And he said, these are stories that the Russians are telling to each other. And they said, if you're lucky enough to be selected, you can buy a car. However, you have to pay for the car, and then you have to wait 10 years before you get it. Wow, that's amazing. And so Ronald Reagan says, so this guy finally was selected. He pays his money. He goes down to the office and he says, okay, here's the money. And the guy goes, okay, you can come pick your car up 10 years from today. And the guy asks him, then he says, should I come in the morning or the afternoon? And the guy looks at him and goes, what difference does it make? It's 10 years. And he goes, because the plumber's coming in the morning. I thought that was funny. It's true. <laughs> so the, that was a story of Russia. Well, that just appeals to what guys feel, and that is, I'm putting all this energy and effort, and there's no change. And so it frustrates you. You know what else it does? Is it undermines your confidence as a guy, right? It really does. You, you're like, man, I'm doing everything I can. It's just what, you know, sometimes, some guys are like, well, it's just what's wrong with me. Other guys get angry and frustrated. And so... When you love transactionally as a guy, it doesn't help you either in your marriage or in your self-perception of what a man really is. So by shifting to a covenantal type of love, a couple of things happen in your life. First and foremost, what you do is your identity as a man becomes stronger, more confident, because what you do is you say, this is how I do it because I'm a man. You just say, I'm going to love this way because I'm a man. And I'm not going to let contract influence me. I'm going to stay on the covenantal side. I do these things regardless of how my wife responds. I do these things. I'm going to love her this way unconditionally. Why? Because I said I would do it. And I am a man of my word. That builds your confidence as a guy. It really strengthens you as a man. And you know what I have found? It's what's amazing is that wives, not, it's not 100%, but wives tend to then relax because they feel more secure in the relationship. You see, they tend to relax. And so that's a powerful thing. But what it does do is it makes you have a deeper sense of how you can love your wife like Christ loved the church. Now, the second thing I'm going to do here is uh, wade into those, uh, what is it, go where angels fear to tread? And I'm going to, I'm going to tell the women what they need to do in their marriage. Just remember, win or tie, I'm with you, lose, you're on your own, okay? Okay. okay. So keep going. <laughs> Man, I love that covenant right uh, there. The scoreboard's right there. <laughs> so go ahead. Ephesians 5, yeah, with that, I have a resounding vote of confidence. <laughs> Verse 22 says this, wives be subject to your husbands. And then if you look down in verse 33, he kind of gives you an idea of what that means. He says, be sure to respect your husband. 
Now, ladies, if you perceive your marriage as a contract, then you believe an unspoken premise of your way you're looking at it is that relationships are power hierarchies. Now, this is really common. And the main reason why is because in the biological realm, the physical realm, men in general are more physically stronger than women. And so you grow up that way, that influences the way you think about it. So if you see your relationship with your husband as a power hierarchy, then your reflex is, I don't agree with that. I will reject it. But if you move to a covenant mindset, then you will see how this makes sense to you. It makes sense by giving your life purpose in your marriage. You see, it says, I now have a purpose and it's based on my trust in God. What's God's desire for me? Is it to bring love, peace, patience, kindness? Does he want deeper meaning, deeper joy in your life? Yes, he does. So it begins, okay, this is what God's purpose is for me in this relationship. Therefore, because I trust God, I can now focus on what I can do, what I can bring to the table to positively impact that relationship. Contractual relationships tend to work like this. It says, well, I'm going to do this because you didn't or you did do that. And you don't want to go there because that ends up pulling the relationship into a contract. And when you have two human beings in a, in a relationship, marriage, and you're, you're contractual, you can always find something wrong with the other person. Well, I, absolutely. And what happens in a transactional relationship like that is this, is, is that we, when we do something and we don't get what we want back, we try harder, we yeah. get pushier, and then we try to control Okay, and that happens from this side to this side. That happens from this side to this side. And so the relationship actually then starts to create friction in of itself because it's purely transactional. And oh, by the way, the end of the way that transactional relationships end up in, in, in a marriage is that when someone feels like, because everybody always feels like I'm going to hold up my end of the bargain, right? When you enter into a contract, you always think, well, I'm going to do it. And you go, are you, right? And when that subtle thing is playing out in a marriage, Here's what ends up happening. The other person feels used. Contractual relationships, if that's how you make a marriage, it puts someone in the position of feeling like they're doing more and the other one is doing less and they're not, in a, and they're not holding up the contract. A covenant is entirely different. And that's why it's so important to look at it from God's perspective. See, guys, when you love your wife unconditionally and you love her covenantally, what you're saying is, I'm doing this because this is who I am as a man. And this is what I believe my identity in Christ as a man says. This is what I'm going to do. When you make mistakes, you own that. You go, yeah, that's not what men do. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to be a man. And ladies, when you, when you love this way, you're speaking the language of men. You see, the language of men is about respect. And this is the most powerful way to influence your marriage, is to speak the language 
of love and respect. The more you pray for your husband, the more you seek to build them up, the more you encourage him, the more proud you are of him, the deeper your feelings of love for him will grow. They grow stronger and deeper. So the, the one of the most powerful things you can say to your husband, a lot of, it's like, oh, I tell my husband I love him, I love him, I love him. That's a good thing. I don't want that to not be a good thing. That's a good thing. But if you really want to strike to the heart of your husband, say, I am proud of you for the man you are. Mm. I am proud of what you've done for this family. I am proud of the way that you love me. I am proud of how you parented our kids. I'm proud of this. I'm, that really resonates with the man. And men, one of the most important things you can do is to love your wife, is you need to pray for her, and you need to encourage her, and you need to communicate at every level that she is the priority in your life. When she feels second fiddle or she feels second to something else, then what you're communicating to her is that my covenant with God and with you is not as important as my covenant with my identity from work or from material things or from adrenaline or from toys. You don't want to do that. You always want to communicate that. Talk about praying into your wife's fears real so, quick. So if you're, if you're feeling like you're in a contractual relationship in the way that you've been kind of looking at your marriage, there's a bridge. I'm going to give you the bridge. And this is just a quick little, you, you use this tool, okay? And, and when I first, one of the guys discipling me taught me about it, it has literally taken our family and our marriage to, a, a, to another level. Pray for your wife in the way that will bless her to be the person that she wants to be in Christ. Learn to pray for your wife and pray for your wife with her around. Pray for her fears. When she tells you about her fears, don't just give her solutions. Actually say, sweetheart, can I pray with you about that? And we stop right there and we begin to pray about those kinds of things. Prayer, have you ever had someone whom you love stop, put their hand on your, on your, on your wrist, or your arm, whatever, and say, and just start praying for you? Men, praying for your wife will help shape that model in a way that you, you'll be blown away at the beneficial blessing that comes from that. The second thing to that is, is to understand that love and respect are both needed by a woman and a man, but they need them in the different order. Women see it like this, love me and respect me. Men see it like this, respect me and love me. Mm. Men, isn't it fair to say that the people that you get, that anger you the most in your life are the other men who disrespect you or show you disrespect? Wives, think about it for a moment. When your husband has gotten sideways with someone or angry or whatever, isn't it most often because they disrespected your man? Mm -hmm. The notion of love and a man is this, is that a man would rather be respected than loved, not than loved, but than loved. A woman would rather be loved and respected. You see how that works? And, and, and you know why God made it that way? It's to frustrate you. Did it work? <laughs> Do you know why God made it that way? is because the best love is unselfish love. Mm. And the way that you and your spouse were intended to love each other was to learn each other and then love each other. Mm. Do you see how blessed that becomes? 
Doug, do you want me to so, go for? You want well, to go you're, into this? you're talking about expectations here. You know, how how do you align expectations? What is a biblical foundation for expectations? So, talk a little bit about that. Right. So, biblical expectations in a marriage are are very important, and that is is that if you want to draw circles around my life, my wife Shadley is in is in the service today. Shad, raise your hand over there. Is my wife Shadley? Uh, 30 years have been a wonderful relationship. We've had our ups and our downs and our sidewayses and all those sorts of things. And the joy that we have in our marriage is just foundational in my life. You want to draw the first circle around my life? It's that first circle between her and I. Mm. Our kids don't make us a family. Her and I are a biblical family. You want an expectation? Two people, husband and wife, are a biblical family. Children are a welcome addition to it. They don't make it that. They don't make you a family. You are a family. That's the first biblical family. And in that process, the greatest thing that we've ever learned, people say, well, what's the best thing you ever learned in your marriage? It's one word, unselfishness, unselfishness. I want you to look, we're on the second page of our paper here. Let me ask you the question up at the top. Are, if, how many of you are by nature, by nature, a selfish person. Go ahead. Everybody should probably raise your hand right now. For some of you, you're going, I'm not raising hands because I'm not a participatory guy. I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to do that. But everybody in here, in your heart or with your hand, should raise your hand and go, I am. And if you don't believe me, we'll take you down to the twos and threes room here in a minute and we'll show you where it starts. <laughs> okay. The first word we learn, mine. <laughs> mine. Right? We are all inherently selfish. I want to show you why the church should be so important in our lives. Not because it's an institution, but look at what a church does. Where do I develop selfishness or unselfishness? It begins in my family of origin. When I'm mm. early on, it starts in there. Where do individuals and families get help in learning unselfishness in the world? It's right here in this book. When it says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, you know how Jesus loved the church? Unselfishness selfishly, unselfishly. Philippians chapter two talks about how even though he was God, he did not count himself as equal God, but he lowered himself and became a servant of all. Husbands, the greatest leadership we learn in our lives is servant leadership. It starts with a towel in the basin. The next one, where is a great place to learn the truths and values of the Bible? In a church setting, that's where it is. Because you didn't show up this morning, probably most of you didn't show up with this morning with Ephesians chapter 5 as your devotional reading that you wanted to plow into today. God set the agenda for the meeting in this place because the pastors and leaders and elders have sought the Lord's face and said, Lord, what do you want to share with the body of Christ? And so we're sharing with you in the body of Christ these very things. The next place is this. Where do you practice unselfishness? In smaller settings within the church. You know why small core groups are the hardest things to join? Because there we get outed for who we really are. We get outed. I mean, you can't fake it after a while, right? I guarantee you, think about this for a second. I'll show you, I'll prove my point. Think about all the neighbors that are around you, the ones across the street, the ones on that side, the ones on that side, the ones on that side, and the ones on that side. Don't say names. Of all those around you, you probably already know who the most selfish one is. Right? Right? I see some smiles. All right, we're going to go on from there. But you know what I'm saying is this. Anytime you're in a smaller group of people, you're outed for who you really are. Wouldn't it be best if we're outed for who we really are with the guiding principles of the work of Jesus Christ to mm -hmm. lead us in this? Mm -hmm. In our marriages, in our friendships, single friends, in your lives as well, we learn these principles because you're not looking for Mr. Right. You're looking for how to be the right person yourself. 
And here's a great mistake we make in our world. And here's what contracts make us believe. A contract is intended to make you happy. A covenant is intended to make you holy. Mm. If your goal in your marriage or to get married was just to be happy, you'll have some happiness along the way. And you might get a little bit of holiness along the way. But if your goal in marriage, which is biblical, is that you would become holy, because remember it said in there that she might be holy and blameless. Husbands, your responsibility is help your wife to be holy and blameless. Do you know what? Here's what I would say to you. On the way to holiness, there's a whole lot of happiness. On the way to happiness, there tends to not be much holiness. Mm -hmm. See where your goal is. That's a great place to check yourself. Well, we wrote down this little thing. Doug and I put this together this week. We want to talk very specifically about marriages and how we move the difference between covenants and contracts. Covenant relationships are the one, the column in the middle there. Contract relationships are the column on the right. What's the type of relationship and where we're at? First level relationship, a covenant is there to fulfill commitments. Contracts are there to fulfill obligations. We're obliged. See the little subtle difference. The next layer, in covenants, we give freely. In contracts, we demand a return. I did this. Where are you? I'm waiting here. How come you haven't shown up? Third level, in covenants, we have a healthy receiving back. Hear me on this. Covenants are not just about give, 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 give. That's a codependent relationship. We're not advocating a codependent relationship. In the give, 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 there's also a healthy receive, receive, receive. Notice I didn't use the word take. You know, one of the most beautiful things in my relationship with Shadley is that I receive her love. I don't take it. Taking comes with the notion of I expect and demand. Receiving is I am grateful for the way that you love me. Mm. See that subtle shift? Life is different in just subtle seismic shifts. Keep going down with me. An overriding character trait of covenant relationships is unselfishness. The overriding contract relationship equivalent is self-preservation. Can I ask you a question in your marriage? Is it all about preserving you? Or is it, a, is, it, is it really something different than that? You see, the most primal thing that we all can own, I don't care, cut me, I bleed red, cut you, you bleed red. The most easy thing in the world to do is to demand someone to give it to us. Well, just like Aladdin said in that first little Aladdin with Robin Williams, he says, I can't make people race from the dead. I can't make people fall in love and I can't give you more wishes, Right? You can't make people fall in love. And your contract, if you have a contract relationship, and that hollow look that you might have in that other person's eyes, it's because you're not fulfilling the covenant side. Bill McCartney, started, Promise Keepers, anybody ever hear Promise Keepers, right? Promise Keepers started, its first gathering was in my church in Boulder, Colorado in, 19, uh, in uh, 1990. First gathering. 72 men got together in our church. It's quite a movement of God, right? Yeah. That first gathering happened. I, where, you know where I was? I was? I was an intern. I was working the green room in the back. So that was what I did. But that started out of that. And, the, and you know what? Bill McCartney made this standard. If you want to know, know how well you, li- you love your wife, you can tell how much a man loves his wife by looking in his wife's eyes. And you can see almost a fuel gauge, and that is full, three quarters, or empty. You want to know how you're doing? Look in your wife's eyes. She'll tell you everything, covenant versus contract. Mm. Commitments, in a covenant, I'm committed. In a contract, I'm contracted. I'm obliged. 
in responsibilities, we start out with to God, to you, to us, and me. Look, my first goal, my wife, I'm not a perfect husband. Hear me on this, guys. I'm not setting you up, okay? This isn't perfect Harv and perfect Doug. This is schmuck one and schmuck two, okay? So just understand, we're willing to come up here and you can shoot at us. But in that process is, I know this, is that my wife is also my sister in Christ and she is going to stand before God someday. And I want to have been there as a part of the process of leading her to know the Lord and to celebrate him forever. Mm-hmm. That's covenant living right there. Uh, if then scenarios with a covenant, I fulfill my vow to you and to God. I leave it with God. In a contract, if you do this, I'll do this. If you don't do this, I won't do this either. I want to talk about feelings for a minute. In a covenant relationship, commitment overrides feelings. In a contract, feelings override commitments. Mm. You've heard the line. Oh man, we just, I, just, I just don't feel in love with you anymore. I mean, those are some wretched things. I mean, I'm, I'm in my early 50s, right? I mean, that's a line going around all over the place. I just don't feel like I'm in love with you anymore. Contracts come with feelings. Covenants come with commitments. Every time the Bible says God loves you, he says he's committed to you. He doesn't say I eros you. Eros is a biblical word for love as well, but it is a feelings-based love. God doesn't say I feelings you. God says I am committed to you. In a covenant relationship, you open up the opportunity. And men, the, 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 ladies, the best thing we give our husbands or show them is earned respect. By the way, men, you got to earn it. Okay, first cup's on the house, second one you got to buy. Okay, all right. With women, the greatest gift you give your wife is security. The knowledge of you're not going anywhere else. Because mm. the covenant says, I made a commitment to God, I'm going to keep it to him forever. That's a powerful difference, friends. It's a very important thing to see. I want you to see that there is a biblical, proactive, unselfish, intentional process called marriage that God lined up. And there's a reciprocating evil that the world says, oh, it's just a piece of paper. That is a lie. And I'm going to tell you why it's a lie. And the first people tell you that that's just a lie. You know what that tells you is a lie? Watch tomorrow at divorce court, the 10-year-old following the parents on the way in he or she will tell you that it's not just a piece of paper, Mm. okay? They'll tell you honestly. Doug? So what Harvest has been doing is saying, look, your expectations change when you move from a contract to a covenant. Your expectations totally reorient about what you are bringing. The last thing it does is this, is is that it changes your focus on what's happening. And that is a contract tends... To, as Harv said earlier, you're looking at what the other person is doing or not doing. So you focus on the weaknesses or the mistakes, you know. Um, but what a covenant does is it looks at what you've accomplished, what you've built, where it can go. So a covenant of orientation is all about hope. A covenant orientation is all about new things, and so when you shift from a contract to a covenant, what you're doing is you're saying, I have more hope than I ever had before. And I know some of you uh, are thinking about getting married. Uh, maybe you have a candidate that would like to think along with you, or maybe you're just hoping that God would bring a candidate into the picture. Maybe you're engaged to be married. Maybe you're married. Maybe you've been divorced. Maybe you're blending a family. Maybe you're wondering, why in the world did I ever get married? The thing that I want you to understand is that when you move from a contract to a covenant, what you're doing is you're embracing the notion that God wants to do something new in your life. 
and he wants to do something redemptive, restorative, renewing, any of those things in your life. And you're saying that God has a plan for my future. And this plan is one that brings hope. It's not one that brings despair. But the key about the covenant is I'm going to surrender myself fully to God and his plan. I'm not going to try to go out and get contractual relationships with myself. Pastor Doug, can I jump in right here real yep. quick? Is yep. it, one, one word to say on that. If you're at that place where you're just sitting here today going, I have a contract relationship. How do I move and how do I go forward? I'll say to you the same thing I'll say to couples that will come and I'll meet with them and talk about their marriage and pray for them and try to help build them is this. Most people start in their relationships with focusing on what is wrong yeah. and trying to fix it. If you came and met with me, I would look at you and say, what is right and can we build on it? What is right and can we build on it? When you're sitting where you're sitting at right now, sit down and do this little discipline this afternoon. What's right in our relationship? What is right? I mean, if you just want a blessed thing in your marriage, just do. That's all it is. Don't go to the other side of it. Just say, what is right in my marriage? What's right with my wife? What's right with my husband? What's right with my kids? If you want to move from a negative side of life to a positive side of life, what's right and can I build on it? And then here's the second step. If, if I want more, where do I go looking for more of what's right? I go here, not the seven o'clock sitcoms. Remember that, okay? Sorry about that. Well, our, our challenge for you that we really want to hit you with is that uh, uh, the second document uh, is called the worksheet. And it's going to be on the website this afternoon. If you didn't get one, if we ran out, you can go there this afternoon. And what it is, is it's going to take 30 minutes, whether you're single or married, to just sit down and go through it. And one of the questions is exactly what Harv just talked about. And that is, what is right about our relationship? And how do we get more things out of the contract side and into the covenant side? Amen. So it, I encourage you to do that. It's a boot camp family challenge. It'll be great for you. And contracts and covenants apply to all across the board, not just in marriages, but with your children, with extended family, with neighbors and HOAs, business and so forth. And so I just wanted to show you a picture real quick from about 30 something years ago uh, about a relationship started. That up there is Shadley on the far right, and that's Harv right there, and that's me with an all black beard. Okay, it's all black there, and then there's Kim. All right, look at that hair, man. Forget Kim's hair, look at my hair. <laughs> I had hair. So, and then that is Kim's brother, Russ. Now, Russ was playing football for K-State at that time, and this was uh, right before Kim and I were married, and this is when Shad and Harv were dating. So I brought that out just to let you know is that we've known each other for a really long time, okay? And about a year ago, well, not quite a year ago, last summer, uh, Harv was living in Colorado, and I said, hey, Harv, um, uh, I'd like you to come on staff and try to uh, do some consulting work and do some ministry alongside of this. And then we'll pray and see where God wants to take this. So he's been coming. He's been here. He also has a number of other things going on. But we've been praying and fasting over this. And so this, uh, the Lord has been leading him. And I'm going to let him tell you what the Lord has told him to do. Well, I, I'd like my wife and my daughter, Sienna, to come up. Kim, come up with us as well, all right? And so 
we've been praying about this, and, and we've lived in the same place for 30 years, and uh, we have been seeking the Lord's face. And that in the same way we're talking about contracting covenant, one of the joyful things is, this is my daughter, Sienna. She's a sixth grader and is on the dean's list and crushes it. Give me some knuckles, uh, girl. <laughs> and this is my wife, Shadley. Absolutely. Yep. And so uh, we, we're accepting the call to come here and be on staff of the church and to move to Idaho. So we're going to move to Idaho. So... <laughs> Was it, we're just so glad with what God's doing. I'll tell you, man, the Lord's been hitting some home runs at Foothills this last year. We're just so excited about what he's doing and all the things that God's got going on. And it's such a blessing. So as you stand for closing prayer, we're going to lay hands on them and pray over them. Okay. So Lord Jesus, we just thank you for Harv and his family. God, we thank you for his older children, the ones that have, have gone off, the ones that have gotten married and what a blessing to our family personally they have been. And so, God, I just thank you for Shadley and, and her heart for you. We thank you, God, and pray your favor over Sienna. And, God, we pray your anointing over their whole family and upon Harv's ministry here as you bond us together in a covenantal relationship in order to be used by your sovereign will for the sake of your kingdom, God. Because in the end, we give ourselves wholly and unequivocally to you, for you are our Lord, you are our King, and we live for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, God bless you guys. See you next week. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.